1: USA and Australia prove they are followers of Jesus in that they are getting on a plane and going home. This is the Arsenal Vision World Cup Daily. My name is Elliot Smith, the Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Uh, Gabriel Jesus, Jesus, has gotten on a plane and head home. And the USA and Australia will be following him, uh, although not to London, presumably. Although some of them may be, like Matt Turner. Um, but the rest of them will be going to wherever it is they call home because they have been knocked out by the Netherlands and Argentina. Um, there were chances for both of these games to get interesting at points. Um, although there were also points where they were not, and we'll get into that with a man whose name is on the artwork and who is now fit enough to start. His name is Lewis. You can find him on Twitter at LG Embros. Hello, Lewis. Hello. I, yeah,
2: I'm, I'm not on the way back home. I'm back to full fitness. Well, yeah, maybe. you're back to
1: full fitness just in time for the knockout rounds. Maybe. Um, and he's come to us now at the turning of the tide as Gandalf the white, um, anyway, yeah, uh, it's that's been a nerdy, not long nerdy Lord of the Rings reference there apologies um let's do this let's start not with the World Cup it, well, it's technically the World Cup, I guess related, but let's start with Gabriel Jesus. This is the World Cup daily, but fundamentally it is an Arsenal vision podcast, and the news is. Not great on Gabriel Jesus. I've heard three to four weeks. I've heard four to five weeks. I'm just going to level with you. I'm skeptical of any report because I find it difficult to believe that all the scans that are necessary have been done and that we fully know what the situation is. And I'm way too well-versed in Arsenal injury tragedies to be ready to just assume everything's going to be even remotely okay yet. I'll wait till he gets home. But he is indeed heading home uh, on a plane to London as of tonight, as I understand it. That now, that may be a good sign, because honestly, if you have a bad knee injury, they might not want to put you on a plane and have you sit on a plane for a few hours. So I don't know. Maybe that is a good sign. But I'm a little concerned also at how long he was running around on the pitch with a knee injury because he didn't want to come off for Brazil because he desperately wanted to impress. It's a terrible end to his World Cup. Emotionally difficult for him. I think he's been given a very rough ride by some Brazil fans, and now he has to head home and, and rehab an injury. What are your early thoughts on uh, Gabriel Jesus heading home from the World Cup and what it might mean for Arsenal uh, in terms of his injury? Yeah, obviously, <laughs> priority number one, get the
2: guy fit. Just get him fit. Yeah. If I, I, My first thought today was I really, really strongly doubt that he'll play on Boxing Day uh, if he's fit to play on the 26th of December. If there's any chance of him being fit to play on the 26th of December, then I don't think Brazil would be sending him back to London Uh because the World Cup final was on the 18th of December. It's only a week earlier. It's not an enormous amount of time. So I think if there's any chance of him playing in three weeks, then Brazil would probably keep him around for the chance that he's fit to play in two weeks. But, you know, what do I know? Uh, mm. I, yeah... It, You do worry. Like you said, we're going to have to wait for more information, which this Arsenal regime, the last few years, we don't really get that much information on these injuries. But with the knee injury, with the the scans, as you mentioned, I think uh, there's often swelling. You need to wait for the swelling to go down to get a a proper scan and, and a proper scan that you can actually read fully so it's going to be a case of wait and see uh, but i think we'll be playing our first couple of games back probably with eddie and ketty up front
1: most likely well i did want to ask you about that i mean do you presume that it'll be eddie and ketty up front let's take the worst case scenario not that that would ever happen to arsenal um nor has it ever happened to arsenal but let's take the worst case scenario just for a second Let's say this Gabriel Jesus injury is, is longer term and, and maybe not even necessarily season ending, but let's say it's a couple of months kind of situation. I mean, to be fair with knee injuries, I feel like you're a couple of weeks or you're a year. <laughs> you know what I mean? When you get a knee injury, oh, it's yeah, like... We,
2: yeah, we've had plenty of times where players were perpetually out for three weeks and it just it, yes. it became
1: 18 months. My favorite is the like six months into the three weeks. They're like, we've decided to perform surgery. <laughs> And I'm like, wait, why what? what have you been doing all the rest of this time? That that like the Rositsky ones and the Santi Kazorla ones, let's not uh invoke those memories on this because I, I I don't think we wanna I don't think we wanna contemplate that kind of situation. I although I will say, Louis, it is interesting. I found myself like getting really neurotic and, and tweeting tweet storms about how frustrating this is and how we'd have to change our expectations for the season. And people were kind of getting frustrated with me, as you can imagine, because I'm insufferable. But I realized the reason is like, people probably don't remember from my early days on Twitter. One of my things was being neurotic about injuries and moaning about injuries. It's been a really long time since we had a season we cared about enough where we were protecting something enough to really get worked up about injuries. I mean, I feel like the late, the early post invincible era was the hallmark of it was promising seasons being wrecked by a Ces Fabregas injury or a Robin van Percy injury, or, you know, more or less, you know, the, the Eduardo yeah, the, injury was late and the, you know, the late two thousands. Yeah.
2: Like you would do, you would kind of get to, I don't know, 20, 21, 22 games in and think we could win the league this year. And then one or two of the aforementioned players would suddenly be injured. And Everything would go to shit, pretty much.
1: Exactly. And so, of course, I have. I, I'm seeing ghosts a little bit. I'll admit that. I mean, I do think if this if this is, and I'm not saying it isn't, but if it is a longer-term injury, I, I really do think that's that for any kind of title challenge. And I know people don't want to hear that. I, I am neurotic about injuries, I'll admit. You're not going to play Eddie Nketiah for... 24 games and do the same thing in your season. You're going to do with Gabriel Jesus playing those games. There is a January window, whether we could bring in someone of the appropriate caliber. And it certainly will have people rethinking the resigning of Eddie and Kedia, because I have questions about whether this guy can come in and just be a starting striker for Arsenal for a stretch of time. So let me ask you if, if he's out, let's say he's out 10 games, you know, let's say he's out eight games, something in that neighborhood. And it it, it is a shitty time because January feels a lot like, our season, you know, w- what our season could be will come down to January in some respect because I think we play Spurs, we play City. Would you just go to Enkedia or would you have a thought of like Smith Rowe on the left and Martinelli through the middle or some, you know, concoction of a front three that does not include Enkedia, Or is it going to just be Enkedia's chance to prove that the the contract he just got is worth every every pound he's making?
2: I think we had some of these conversations at the end of last season and we mm-hmm. wondered a little bit, but obviously we didn't have Gabriel Jesus at the time. I think Mikel Arteta wants to change or would like to change as little as possible. And that means Gabriel Martinelli stays where he's been and where That's he's been point, effective though. playing on the left instead of playing, who knows, Smith Rowe, maybe who's not played for, what's six six months? Yeah. <laughs> you play Smith Rowe and hope that he's fit and on form and play him on the left and you play Martinelli up front. And you play Martinelli up front, but it's not really where any of his best form for Arsenal has been, or at least so far. So I, I think it's a tricky one. Enketia is the plug-and-play option, if you like. And I'm, I am I think I'm probably higher on Eddie Nketiah than most people, uh, or a lot of Arsenal fans anyway. I think he played really well when he came into the team last season. I don't think that you're going to play Eddie Nketiah for over half a Premier League season and with the league. But I do think Eddie and Gettier can play very, very well up front. We, we're not going to have, you know, Tim wrote about it this week on our blog. You're, we're not going to have a season where Eddie and Gettier and Gab- and Mill Smith Rowe and Fabio Vieira don't play significant roles. They're all going to be needed at some point, and you know, maybe we'll find out sooner than we'd like. Maybe it forces their hand in in January. We've got. I mean, New Year's Day is probably – oh, sorry, New Year's – yeah, New Year's Eve is probably a bit – it's definitely too early. You've got Boxing Day and New Year's Eve. Then you've got an FA Cup weekend. So we've realistically got two Premier League games before you could possibly get anybody in if this injury to to Jesus ended up being more serious. Yeah. And then you wonder, would they try and do something, I guess, then? Uh, you know, sort of beginning of January – um. But as we've seen over, over and over again with this management, this last sort of 18 months or so, mm-hmm. they're not going to do anything unless they think it's the right player. So it's, I think it's more right. a case of accelerating something that maybe they'd be hoping or planning to do in the summer. I mean, I've just had a really quick look there um, and, and two players who I like. And we've, we've very, very minorly been linked with one of them, I think. But Leonardo, uh, Leander Trossard and mm-hmm. Marcus Turam are both out of contract at the end of the season. Um, those are two players who could possibly be options, you know, be it up front or on the left wing in Martinelli's position, if you wanted to try and move him and see how that worked out. So I wonder if there's maybe a bargain or two to be had somewhere if they look at loans or you know something that it, now that we are pretty confident we'll be in the Champions League next season that isn't going to set them back massively financially and get in the way and and take a huge buyout of the budget for maybe an alternative signing when in the summer someone else becomes available that we'd actually really really like to sign for that position
1: i think the reason that i have concerns about inkeria is just style I think Enkedia is really good at running in behind, at chasing down long balls, at making clever runs against defenses at the halfway line. Arsenal plays so high up the pitch now. We dominate territory so thoroughly. We play a very technical game of of, you know, really moving the ball, trying to or at least trying to move the ball quickly in the final third and then pressing, counter pressing to regain possession and keep the ball at the pitch. And I don't know if that's Eddie's game as much, and to be fair. We just don't know much about Eddie's game in general because of how little he's played. We've seen him have one run in the team late last season. He did pretty well. Um, so I'm not saying he can't do it. I guess. Um, There's the other side of it as well,
2: I think, where like, I don't. We've been through this, we've talked on instant reactions none of us are annoyed with how gabriel jesus has been playing even though he hasn't scored Nobody's sitting here saying no, it's, like oh has been a revelation this is awful <laughs> yeah. he, he he's not scored for whatever it is eight games now nine games mm-hmm. for arsenal anyway but i think eddie and ketchyo would have scored a few goals more likely in some of those games mm. and then maybe you you know you you shuffle a little bit of the responsibilities and if the striker is maybe not doing a bit more of that creation, ball retention, back-to-goal stuff that Gabriel Jesus has been doing. But then maybe it takes the goal burden off of Saka, Martinelli, and Odegaard to chip in quite as often. And if the striker's sort of grabbing a couple of goals that Gabriel Jesus hasn't been scoring recently, and, and maybe that that, that would be a way that I would see Nketiah coming into the tide, not to score us 30 goals, like not even close, <laughs> But a, goal every, <laughs> but, yeah, no doubt. but a goal every couple of games. And it may be that creativity can come from Sakura and Odegaard a little bit more and you're not leaning on those two and on Martinelli and on Jacker as well to get in the box and contribute with quite as many goals as well.
1: And, you know, maybe you it around a little bit. If Smith Rowe is fit, now you have someone who can come off the bench who's fresh, who we know can score goals as a substitute. It, it really will come down to, is this three, four, five weeks? Is it longer? If it's longer, I I think you have to do something. Hey, just one question, because we did a month scouting video on the Patreon side as a close Bundesliga watcher. What's your thoughts on uh, Jesper Lindstrom? I I I'm nervous
2: about pl- trying to sign players from the Bundesliga. We've seen yeah. we've we've sort of touched on Jadon Sancho, and uh, we've seen Christian Pulisic, Kai Havertz, Timo Werner,
1: very Kevin De Bruyne. Was was <laughs> well? Was, yeah, there's, been, a few, there's um, been more than a few that have have thrived as well. Yeah,
2: but there's so many players. I think there's so much space in the Bundesliga, and mm. and Frankfurt aren't a team that dominate possession. I think we have. I think Jesper but is great. Um, I. Wonder how he fits and where he fits for an Arsenal team that has 60-65% of the ball and has to break teams down would be my question.
1: Okay. Yeah, I, the thing I liked is, I mean, he looked creative, somewhat two-footed, like he could play left-right or mm-hmm. even maybe a little false nine-ish. Kind of that that versatile and and clever player. Who you can bring in to be an option at any, one, you know, all all across the front three, yeah. versus which like a would, Modric, you yeah. know,
2: which feels like the thing we need next, right? Like, like if mm-hmm. you look at the way we're playing and the front three kind of picks itself at the moment, and you think of, I'm mean, not that we're quite at that level yet, but you think of that Liverpool front three with Mane, Firmino, and Salah, and what did they yeah. add? They added Diego Jota, who could come in and play and replace any of them, and suddenly you yep. didn't have an obvious backup right winger or an obvious backup left winger who's getting barely any minutes when Saka's not playing but you have somebody who can fill in for any of those players and rotate and give somebody a break and that's it's definitely what we need when we're looking for someone to add up front
1: and they kind of doubled down on that with, with Luis Diaz by the way who did mm-hmm. a little bit of of everything across the front three and I think they like that idea of having that versatility and then you kind of see the impact of bringing in a a a player who can't Darwin you know, who plays a different style of football, and it took some adaptation. We'll see. Look, Gabriel Jesus, to me, even without the goals, has been our best player and our most important player just in terms of the way he's changed everything about how we play and our ability to play higher up the pitch, his ability to win duels, his ability to drop into the midfield but still get into the box, to link play, to press. He's a fantastic presser, an intelligent presser. I think think he'd be a huge... Lost and there's and there's a
2: mentality mm-hmm. thing there in the dressing room too. Him and yeah. Sinchenko have come from a team where you win every single week, and I don't think they accept any less than that from their
1: teammates. Yeah, it's it's leadership by example. Yeah, he sets the example, and so yeah, I mean, and I'll admit, I am scarred by injuries that have cost us seasons. I I do tend to overreact to injuries. I do think it is absolutely Arsenal down to the core that our best player and our star signing in a season where we started better than literally any season in league history goes out in a game that was really just about rotation and somewhat meaningless in a world cup that happens to be taking place in the winter for the first time in (laughs) history. Like it just, it all feels very apt. And meanwhile, the moneyed club, Manchester city, their best player isn't even at the world cup. (laughs) So it's just like, you know, it is what it is. Um, all right. Well, There'll be plenty of time to see how that shakes out, and we'll definitely be talking about that more on the main Arsenal Vision podcast on Monday. But let's get to the World Cup, since this is the World Cup daily, and the first game of the day was USA-Netherlands. I think I think the story of this game is a somewhat naive USA team that played into Van Gaal's tactics and just never adapted. And ironically, after the match, Lou Van Gaal said they played into our tactics and didn't adjust <laughs> which is red meat for the anti-Burhalter people which is most people who support the USA at this point i think as i watched this game i saw a usa team that has a really nice midfield that's going to grow into being a really strong a really strong part of this team but now that we're a team that has more possession and more possession in the attacking third the paucity of talent in the attacking third just stood out like a sore thumb. And I think the decision, you know, not to just play the best players, and I understand maybe Arsenal can have to make a similar decision coming up, but like, there there comes a point where you say, sure, I don't have any really good strikers, I don't have any international class strikers, so maybe I just shouldn't play one, play my best players. Lewis, like, let's, let's start 30,000 foot, and then we can get down to some of the individual moments. In terms of, selection for the USA and and I don't know how close to USA watcher you are but do you have any issue with with leaving guys like Reyna or more specifically in my view Aaronson on the on the bench in favor of players that are are just not as talented I don't I think you need a focal point I need I think you
2: you need a striker to play up front I don't think the Mm. USA are good enough with the ball uh and and good enough and especially against a team like the Netherlands to play sort of a
1: false nine system. Even with like Jesus Ferreira, like, and you know, no, no ill will intend, like just, I don't think being good enough yet to play at that level. Yeah. No,
2: no. I, and I completely agree. Um, I, yeah, I'm a big fan of Gio Reyna. I think Brendan Aronson's really good. The only player that I can see the way that the way that everybody's played this world cup, the only player I can see coming out of that 11 for either of them is, is Tim Weir. And, I can understand why that's a hard call for Berhalter to make. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you can play Weir up front, possibly, and then, then play Aronson or Rayner on the wing. It's really, really hard. I I, I think there's just a, a ceiling, a low ceiling or low-ish on any football team that doesn't have a great striker and doesn't have good centre-backs. And I think the US pretty much look good in every position, and I've done pretty much the whole tournament. I thought they were great against England. They were really, really good against England. But if you don't have players of quality at centre-back and if you don't have a good centre-forward, then I think you're going to get found out quite simply at this level. You know, you look at the quality and the, the Dutch team, quality and experience um, and, and, and sort of the confidence, I think, to go out there and... Not panic. I thought both goals in this game came when the US had had their best five minutes of the game. Mm, I thought the yeah. first goal came; it was a long period of possession from the created the the opener. But I thought the the USA had had a really good five or so minutes leading up to the first goal, and then I thought they had their best five or so minutes of the game right before halftime, and then right before halftime, the Dutch got the second goal. So for me though they, they were moments of quality and poise in, in the high pressure situation, high stakes game that the US lacked through a, a mixture of not having quality in key positions and just a little bit of age and experience and being on the big stage. Like as as much as you look at the Dutch team and you think like, ah, you know, Frankie de Jong's not had the best couple of years, Van Dijk's maybe a year or two years ago, pre-injury, whatever, looked a lot better than he does now. There's not an obvious world class attacking player. Yeah. It's like, but you've got Memphis Depay who plays for Barcelona and you've got Frankie de Jong who plays for Barcelona and Virgil van Dijk is Virgil van Dijk and Daly Blind. Like, all the, these players have all played, you know, games to win titles or Champions mm-hmm. League quarterfinals or semi finals or Europa League finals. Or, they've all been at that. And that to me is the big thing that. In, in the position where there is quality and i'm thinking especially if the the us midfield that's the thing that's missing uh, just that age and experience to to play calmly and control the game and not panic and pick the right pass at the right moment because if you've got you know i, I think I, I didn't really understand the, the decision to play Ferrero because from what i've seen in the tournament had rights a better player I also think that Josh Sargent's a better player, but I think he was out he right was, for, he the, for this fit, game. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but so I think that Burhalter didn't pick his best striker, best available striker. The other uh, best, better striker wasn't available to him. It's just it's not it's not going to work out. I don't think at this level because there's so much quality on the opposition that they're going to make you pay as soon as you
1: make a mistake. And I think the reason I said it was naive, and like Burhalter in typical fashion said, oh, you know, we controlled this game. But like, so, and look, anyone who's listening to this podcast knows I sometimes complain about counterattacking football. And the reason I complain about counterattacking football is a lot of times what teams will do is they'll bunker into their defensive third, have no out ball, just get battered, and say they were playing on the counterattack. And my argument has always been that's not counterattacking. That's just getting battered. You know, being a possum in your defensive third is not, it's not counter-attacking football. It, it's, but, it's not like, it's not clever enough to be rope-a-dope. No, right? Like when Watford had 30-plus shots against us in the Unai emeri year, that's not counter-attacking football. It's just getting battered. But like, this was counterattacking football by the Netherlands. They held the USA at arm's length around the edge of their box. And they let the fullbacks push up and they let the midfielders push up and took advantage of the space in behind and were extremely effective and clinical. Their first goal, there's lovely triangles, lovely passing through the counter press. The fullbacks get caught up the pitch. The cutback is on, and, T- and Tyler Adams, who is a wonderful player, gets caught being a Denilson on that goal. Now, interestingly, prior to that, Pulisic has a, a chance gifted to him. I think he's a little unlucky. I don't know that that there's anything necessarily wrong with how he takes it. I don't know if he's going five hole, if he's trying to go between the legs or if he's trying to get outside of him. To be fair to Knoppert, it's a good save. It's a good save with his leg. We'll we'll come on to the other game. Lautaro mm-hmm. Martinez was guilty of missing be,
2: like be, be way better missing chances. better yes. chances First. and was <laughs> like like in a similar position mm-hmm. but he missed them in a way worse way than Pulisic well, missed that chance. What's funny
1: is if the if the Argentina finishing if Lautaro Martinez had been playing for the Dutch, the USA might be going through because <laughs> yeah. the Dutch were extremely uh clinical with the chances that were presented to them. Um not that they were the hardest chances, but they did finish them and still have to finish them. But but to be fair, I think if the USA gets that goal, I would love to have watched a game where the Dutch couldn't just let us come on to them and then hit us on the counter over and over again. I would have loved to have watched a game where the US didn't have to. But after that moment, I just thought there was a naivety about the way we played, Lewis, because like, I get that we think we're good now. Great. That's great. Maybe just maybe don't commit all three midfielders and both fullbacks, you know, that high up the pitch. Maybe just let the Dutch have the ball. Not let them have the ball, but, you know, be a little more thoughtful about your territory. And and I'm wondering if you see it the same way, or if maybe I'm just expressing frustration. You know, my my frustration at being eliminated is blurring my view of the game. But I, I did feel that the USA were naive in how aggressively they pushed up the pitch and made it very easy for the Netherlands, to find ways to to hit us on the counter.
2: There there was an element of impatience in pressing. um, Mm -hmm. And and I think that's probably the bit that Van Gaal was referring to. It looks like a counter-attack goal, that first goal. Um, But there was like 25 passes, the the Netherlands goal. Because they passed it around the back and they just waited. They waited for, for the pressure to come because they knew that as soon as, as you say, too many players were committed to that press then the space would be in behind uh, and that's why it looks like a counter attacking goal because the space arrives and then they and they've played it calmly at the back as like you know from right to left the goalkeepers involved and it got up to sort of you know, 12 13 passes or whatever and then the space was there in midfield and then they pinged it and then it was like three or four one touch passes in the middle of the pitch and the whole pitch opened up the the press was the you know the midfield would had been played through completely I, like, I find it hard to criticise uh, the US too much because I think they were on a pitch against a more talented side and mm-hmm. I don't think they did badly today. Like I say, I thought the Dutch goals came at incredible timing for them. Just when it... I did. They were really sucker punch kind of goals when when the US must have felt that they were playing well and sort of getting on top and getting a bit more control
1: it's weird though right because like i agree with you and i I especially agree with you with the the denzel dumfries goal at the end for sure um and maybe in the daily bling goal but the first goal like there was the game was starting to settle into a pattern of the usa running around like chickens with their heads cut off in the attacking third and the dutch creating openings and we could not defend cutbacks like we were really struggling Mm -hmm. with that clearly the plan was get it wide and cut it back to runners running off the central midfielders. Like I said, Adams, lovely player. I I rate him highly. He's going to see the video of that, and he's going to be really disappointed with himself. He went full to Nielsen. You know, his man runs by him and he doesn't run back. If you told me, that The USA would be in a knockout round of the World Cup. If you told me this four years ago, and we weren't even in the World Cup, and then four years before that, when the way we played these games was bunker in and hope for the best, that we'd have sixty plus percent possession and seventeen and, shots, and you're frustrated that you lose. Right, to the normally, Netherlands. right. Yeah. Normally, I'd say get out of here. You know that that's that's just a big step. But the reason I don't feel that way as much is because a lot of it I felt was exactly how the Dutch wanted us to play. And you know what I noticed a lot, Lewis? I wonder if you saw this. The Dutch felt like they were very in control defensively, but the thing that really bothered me is there was a lot of hero ball. There was a lot of players trying to beat one man, and then two men, and then three Mm -hmm. men. Like, against England, what really impressed me was how quickly the ball moved. In this game, I felt like players were carrying the ball to their teammates. There would be two USA players in the same area trying to, like, we're we're getting in each other's way. I just thought the final third play was sloppy and, and... no one really seemed to know where the space was, you know? And, and I think there's a credit to the Netherlands for being organized defensively. I just think the U S did not know where the space was. And there was a lot of hero ball and a lot of trying to beat men off the dribble rather than play one twos with teammates or, or find space. And that was, that was, you know, that maybe that's just down to talent, frankly, it would have been a game for a number 10 for me
2: because I thought, you know, the the England game that worked really well, you know, the, close the middle 4-4-2 defensive shape and make England just keep it at the back and then go around the outside and England couldn't really do it. Uh, they they couldn't find space in the middle. They were pretty terrible. Uh, and for me, the US were by far the better team in the game against England. What that also offered that shape was just if you don't have a, like a top centre forward, then you have at least a player playing close to the centre forward and you know combinations then become easier you've still got your players on the flanks but one of them on in the England game mckenney played on the right and he tucked inside and you kind of had this extra man in the middle but he could go out wide i thought that suited these players really really well to play that way and and then it was uh, timothy weir who tucked in and, and played just off of hadji Wright up front i thought that just made sense for this group of players i thought today played into the like the just the shape played into into the dutch hands you 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 got left with two center backs against two center forwards all the time the the dutch play with a number 10 behind in front of two midfielders and it just mirrored the midfield three and they closed the middle of the pitch completely you've got three center backs you've got three center midfielders you've got two strikers the space is out wide against them and that doesn't just mean push the fullbacks forward. You know, you have to do something in the middle of the pitch. You have to offer something in the middle of the pitch. There wasn't enough presence, I don't think. You know, it, to contain the centre backs, mm. and then and then there was no. You know, the ball went out wide, but it it went out wide in such straight line running. There was no combination on the flanks. Exactly. Robinson went down the left, and Pulisic was just inside, and then the same with Weir and Dest on the other wing. Like there was, it wasn't one twos and pull your man out of position and then go into the space. It was a lot of straight line running, and you know, I thought the the Dutch handled it. You know, firstly, that was just really easy to defend because men weren't doubled up on out wide, and all the Dutch players were in the middle of the pitch. So anywhere where Pulisic came inside, the midfield three, who I think from this tournament were the three players who stood out for no question. for the no US. Question. Eunice uh, Musa is is brilliant, and, and and I think that's the thing that I sort of took away from this game more than anything. I I thought that um, I thought the that America could have sprung a bit of a surprise today because I'm not convinced by the Netherlands. I'm still not, but they are. They do what they do very well. I just don't think it's like tournament winning football, basically.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: I, my main takeaway and what I really thought of full-time was this team's going to be really good when they play on home, home soil in three and a half years. Like it, There's a centre-back deficiency and there's a centre-forward deficiency, but playing on home soil with that midfield three, three and a half years older, and Reynar and Pulisic and Tim Weir and Brendan Aronson. And Fuller and Ballard, don't forget and for, well, yeah, quite possibly could use it. Yeah, could have used him in this possibly. World Cup. I,
1: I, no, I I see that, and this isn't all doom and gloom. I think there's frustration with Burhalter that sometimes obscures seeing this team for what it is, which is not ready to go any further than this in the World Cup, probably, but young and maybe ready to in the next one. Um, and not having the pressure of a qualifying campaign, you never mm. know if that's going to hurt or help to some extent because you know you can get forged in the battle of Concacaf, but like. I think it means that you can just focus on putting the best possible team out there. The the Dutch did a really nice job converting their counterattacks and converting their cutbacks. And like their, their finishing was clinical. The Memphis Depay finishes clean and clinical. The daily finish finishes clean and clinical. The Dumfries finish. That's the easiest of the trio, I think, but still you gotta, you gotta find the goal on sort of a volley, which is not always easy. Um, Dest had his moments where he was beating guys and looking really lively. But this is the other thing. Halter talks about, it. you know, we play really intense football. We're really hard to play against. Yeah, mate, but like your team was shagged out by like 35 minutes. One thing that was really noticeable to me, Lewis, where the, the energy level seemed to be so sapped so early on. Um, you know, Adams is not a player you think of having his man run past him and going unmarked, but they just looked so worn out. Maybe it's because they had the harder game you know, on the third day of the group, mm. um, you know, and and had to give their all right down to the wire, and obviously the the climate could be an issue. I don't know what the temperature was to be fair the, at the at the ground in this game, but like, did you did you notice that it looked like the USA team was shattered pretty early on?
2: I just think the, the this is a team that kind of I think you saw it against England as well a little bit. They just gave everything from the off. And then it's like if they don't go ahead, they've they've died in every game. The Wales yeah. game, they were mm-hmm. really really good in the first half and poor in the second half. It was a similar story against Iran. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's an accident. Uh, yeah. I think there's an element of going ahead in a couple of those games and then sitting back a bit. I think this is you know in such a tricky tournament when, you, like you said, it's more condensed than ever the whole season, but also. This tournament is more condensed than ever. Uh, the World Cups yeah, usually true. don't have four games in a day. Uh, you know, It's usually three games during the group stage in a day. As, as far as I remember, today, which is the last, the first day after the group stage has ended, today's usually a rest day, I think. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. and then the knockout rounds begin tomorrow. Yes. Um so you know, would have begun on Sunday in a, in a kind of regular World Cup schedule. So I think this element of that. And the US have rotated probably less than most. I mean, I don't have it in front of me. But I'm pretty sure it's been exactly the same players, except the centre forward. It has, except for the centre forward, yeah, yeah in, and, and maybe one
1: centre back. I think, I think, I don't think Zimmerman. Yeah, Carter
2: Vickers played against yeah. Iran. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, the, so the whole midfield we're talking about the the wing backs. I remember Descot was furious when he came off against England. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Shaq Moore came on. Shaq, yeah, yeah.
1: what, what a yeah. I, I
2: don't know anything. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, as as you mentioned before, like, I watched the Bundesliga a lot. Joe Scally plays every single week for Borussia Mönchengladbach, mm-hmm. and he's really fucking good. And he can play left back and right back equally as well. And I think there's a slight issue of depth, obviously, but also a selection issue a little bit. You know?
1: Oh, for sure. Oh, would oh definitely.
2: The, would the US be weaker? Like Scally's just sat on the bench. He could have played any of these games for for one of the fullbacks. Uh, we, uh, we've mentioned Aronson and Rayner. Is it worth having a fresher Weir or Musa by playing one of those guys in one of the group games? And I think that was maybe a little bit short-sighted to pretty much just stick with those 11 players more or less. Uh, yeah. Certainly nine of the 11 uh, as
1: much as possible. Now, this game briefly got interesting because of for the five minutes. wildest finish. When I say finish, <laughs> I mean goal finish, that that has ever been finished. I, I guess Haji Wright gets credit for that goal. There is not one chance in one million he <laughs> means it. But what I will say about that period, Lewis, so I posted a GIF of how the game looked to me like at halftime, and, and it looked kind of like a kitten attacking a dog where like it was doing all the action and it was furiously patting its paws at the dog, but the dog is just like, what is this? The period around when Haji Wright scores and that... There was some last-ditch defending from the Dutch. There were there were some ropey moments. There, there was legitimate pressure being applied. And that was the period where I thought, all right, now something can happen here. But unfortunately, it's just five minutes until the third goal. And really, look, Robinson is not going to like what he sees when he watches that back. He's standing with his hands on his hips, literally not running when Dumfries runs by him. Having said that, I'm convinced that he was injured. He got hurt mm-hmm. about 10 minutes earlier, was laying on the pitch, and he didn't look right after that at all. And I think it is really poor by Berhalter that he left him on because it was clear to me anyway, and I'm not a doctor and I'm not there, so maybe I'm wrong. He did not seem right to me. And he, he sure wasn't That was quite right. a while, yeah. Yeah, a long time. And then DeFries runs right by him. He's just standing there, hands on hips watching it. And it's it's an easy finish.
2: Yeah, I, I, again, this it's just the protecting the players and getting the most out of the players. If you rotate the squad, these things are less likely to happen. And yeah. if you trust the players that that you've brought on the bench. I, it did look like, you're right, it looked like it was going to get interesting. But as soon as that went in, it was over. Like, that was just game over. Uh,
1: and the players seemed to know, know it too. Then it got a little helter-skelter. It really yeah. wasn't the same. I thought, um, I thought the second goal was... I thought the
2: second goal, like, that's kind of the timing it could be looked at, like, both sides of the coin, I guess. But I don't think that was terrible timing because it was, like, right before half time, and then you can just go in and sort of regather your thoughts and, and talk about what you're going to do in the second half. But for, for the Dutch to score immediately, pretty much, after it looked like there was a way back into the game, it just, like, slammed that door shut completely.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, and we saw this in the Australia game, which we'll get to now, but, like, <laughs> the funny thing is, when you've had a lead all game and it's felt comfortable and then the other team gets within a goal late, I think it can really make you shit yourself. And so, had we been able to play at 2-1 for even just a few more minutes, I think it would have been a very nervy ending for the Netherlands, but...
2: I, I don't care how big a gap of quality ever is between two teams. We see it all the time. If you're one goal up against anybody or one goal down against anybody and there's five or ten minutes to go and you're throwing balls into the box, I think pretty much every team on the planet gets nervous no matter who they're, fa- they're yeah. facing. Yeah,
1: you're going to fill your pants a bit. Well, look, credits to the Netherlands. I thought their tactics were good. I thought they executed brilliantly. They essentially create four chances, finish three of them. The other one is just an unreal double save from Matt mm-hmm. Turner. Um, The first save is good. The second save is out of this world. He's the MVP of the tournament for me, for the USA. Not that the USA was really battered at any point, but he just was really good in everything he did. I guess Musa would be another candidate. Um, Adams was good, although at fault for a goal here. In general, though, happy for Matt Turner, really showing his quality, and he will come back to Arsenal full of confidence. So that's a great thing. The The Netherlands go on, I think, rightfully so. Um, you know, and, and you just see it, like Depay his finish, Blinn's finish, you know, the Dumfries finish, the the interchange of passes on their first goal, just a level of quality the USA couldn't match. So good to get to the knockout round. Not a great performance. I think if the USA hires a coach who's a little bit more astute and just develops this young core and maybe gets a striker, the next World Cup could be interesting. So we'll see. Um, Let's move on to a game that I don't think people expected to be much of a game. And for long stretches of it, it it really wasn't much of a game. Um, now, of course, leave it to Lionel Messi to be the difference maker. Obviously, um, he stands around for 34 minutes. I mean, it wasn't that he wasn't doing anything. He just he, he's no he was walking around some of the time. He, he yeah he was walking he was he was he moved. I saw him move. I can I can find you video of him moving. But he's just an economy of energy. And then what do you know? The ball finds its way to a position in the box. And it's a typical messy finish. Maybe you could say that Matty Ryan doesn't get down quick enough, but I, I think it's I think it's a good finish. And Alvarez takes advantage of Ryan's gaffe in the 57th minute. And at that point, Lewis, this had been a pretty boring game that Argentina in what seemed like second gear were comfortably in front of. you think that's a fair assessment of the first 60 minutes or so of this game?
2: Yeah, I, I had a look before we started recording and uh, and it pretty much confirmed my suspicions. Argentina had had four shots uh, mm. by the time they went 2-0 up, include, like including the two goals. And Australia had had one from a corner, which I think was blocked, like a header from a corner. So yeah, very little had happened. And I think that was pretty much the way that Argentina had hoped the game would go, knowing that they would have the quality to create... The majority of the very little that was happening and to to probably take one or two of the chances as well. I have to say, I find
1: Argentina pretty hard to watch. Just most of the time. And and again in this game, I found them hard to watch. But you know, similar to the USA game in, in some respects, the golfing quality showed when it needed to. And then, out of absolutely nothing, <laughs> in the 77th minute. You get an Enzo Fernandez own goal, a deflection of a, a long-range shot from outside of the box that's not going on target. And suddenly, Argentina start to fill their pants. And I wouldn't say that Australia created guilt at you. Well, no, you know what? I'm going to take that back. That's narrative. That's not really what happened. What happened is the game kind of opened up a little. And Argentina suddenly were like creating counterattacking chances that Latoro Martinez was steadfastly refusing to put home. Lionel Messi was putting things on plates that weren't going home. Um, he had one shot from the edge of the box that he curls over the over the angle. But at the other end, there were long straight balls into the box that were causing problems. And at the absolute death, at the death, Emmy e- e- Martinez, to his credit, does a really nice job to come out and smother from, who was it? Garan um, Kowal. Who, yeah. who I think is like the second youngest player at the end, or
2: was the second youngest player at the entire old. tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He finds um, himself right wow. on the edge of the six-yard box, pirouettes, and fires it into the belly, essentially, of a of an outrushing Emmy Martinez. What did you make of how the game came to life and Really, a a wasteful Argentina allowing this to go down to the wire and become ultimately a pretty exciting finish.
2: Yeah, I mean that, that's the first thing. I guess is there's been a few games in this tournament where Argentina have not been as bad as maybe it is made out. Um, well, mainly the Saudi Arabia game when they had three goals disallowed for offside before the sort of the Saudi Arabia had a couple of shots and scored a couple of goals after halftime. Uh, the, the Poland game was weird. The Mexico game was weird. Lautaro Martinez looked awful whenever he's been on the pitch. Uh, Julian Alvarez has rightly taken his place. He, he thought he was brilliant against Poland. Uh, he was good again tonight and got his goal, uh, obviously capitalizing on that Ryan mistake. <laughs> the game should have been so far done. Mm-hmm. And Messi laid two on a plate for him. And he, he did that thing that we all love to see so dearly when he put the ball about ten feet over the bar and then just stared at the ground and then and then he looked up at one of his teammates and then looked back at the ground as mm. yeah because the the pitch didn't look great but like you've grown up on the streets of Argentina I'm pretty sure you've played them worse than this <laughs> you've you've dealt with these bobbles before um, yeah it it was a weird weird ending because I think Argentina and you saw it in the sub. Not long after they went 2-0 up, um, they they brought on oh sorry, but before even it was right after half time. they brought on Lisandro Martinez and went to three at the back. And Argentina like to get ahead and then shut games down. And they know that having Messi on the break and his his quality and his decision making and, and it means he'll have a bit more space to play having yeah, a striker usually of the quality of Lautaro Martinez um, or Julian Alvarez alongside him, Rodrigo de Paul with his engine, Alexis McAllister, there will be players there on the break who can finish a game off if they need to or when they need to. And for some reason, they just haven't managed to do it at all all tournament. And then it feels like Scaloni leans into protecting what they have rather than trying to... Score another goal. And I was surprised how early that sub came today. I think it's, yeah, I just had a look again. 50th minute. Lesandro mm-hmm. Martinez comes on and they go to a back three or, or five at the back, if you like, against Australia of all teams who had offered absolutely nothing. There was no reason to change anything. The, the game was dull, but it was completely in Argentina's hands. And suddenly you're, you've got one player less around Messi when you're attacking. Like the fullbacks got forward, sure, but there was just no need for an extra centre-back. And I found it a strange choice for a team that I feel like are carrying the baggage of that first game and they're terrified of humiliation Mm -hmm. uh
1: as as we all are i guess but i mean i'm not clearly i think i think you can tell i'm not terrified of humiliation i subject myself more than most in this tournament and
2: they were as you said like that get the big guy up front and smash the ball up towards him with harry sutar up front at the last five or ten minutes that Argentina were prime for somehow throwing the ball into the back of their own goal. And yeah, you said it. Emi Martinez is the only reason that they managed
1: to get away with it in the end.
2: Well, get away with it's a bit strong, but you know what I
1: mean. No, I I mean, I just watched it again quickly. I I want to apologize. Emi Martinez did not smother that in his belly. He gets an outstretched arm. It kind of like,
2: it kind of scoops up, right? Because at first when when it ricocheted off of him... I didn't know if, you know, when the camera angle is a bit like, oh, mm. what's going on there? I didn't know if the ball was going up, and it was, and he turned around and caught it, or if it was bouncing towards the goal and he hadn't really got
1: much of a connection on it. I think he got a really good connection on it watching it again, and I think it's a fantastic save from Martinez It's going in. Mm. Um, it's not hit at the keeper. It's hit just outside his frame, and Martinez has to have his arm. If Martinez's arms are at his side, that's a goal, and we'd all be sitting here saying what the heck just happened. As it turns out, we're not sitting here saying that. And frankly, I think I'm balanced. The teams that went through today are the teams that deserve to go through, the teams with the better talent. I I don't know that either of them have shown me enough for me to think that either of them will go all the way um, in this tournament. I could see the Netherlands getting past Argentina. I I certainly think if Argentina control possession and the netherlands can play on the counter like they did against the usa they've certainly shown that they can be very dangerous doing that that'll be interesting to watch Messi is an x factor he's not the messy of old but he's still you know Messi, and you can always win you a game so that's that's going to be one to look for i mean I, I will say of this bracket brazil have been handed and not handed <laughs> they had to win the group and they barely did win the group but brazil are in a position i think to walk to the final just in, just on paper in terms of their talent versus what's in this bracket, because I, they have to play South Korea and there's no disrespect to any of these nations. Brazil will be a big favorite against South Korea, they'll be a huge favorite against either Croatia or Japan, and against either the Netherlands or Argentina. on the balance of what I've seen, they'll be a favorite now Brazil, Argentina in a semifinal. I mean that'd be pretty tasty, and uh you know in a derby, you throw form out the window, so we'll, we'll see what happens there tomorrow. well, we get France and we get England, against Poland, and Senegal. Um, let's start with England. I mean, Lewis, it, it, I I don't think England were perfect in the group stage, but they were absolutely as good as they needed to be job done mission accomplished. Lots of good things to come from that, from that group stage performance. And now Senegal without their best player, this is a game, you know, England consider themselves one of the best teams in the world cup. I think they are on talent. One of the best teams in the world cup you got to go beat Senegal. I think they will beat Senegal. Do you think we'll see any surprises from the lineup? Because I guess the question is, Rashford was the star of a game that admittedly didn't have necessarily the jeopardy that this will. Uh, Foden did well. I think Sterling has been out of form. Saka obviously will be curious if if his place would be restored. A lot of questions about some players that I think are right on the edge in terms of their place in this team. Trippier, Saka... Rashford 3 that come to mind for me. Maybe even Mason Mount. How how do you look at at mm. Southgate? Does he go right back to the group that he has trusted and stuck with um through the Euros and through the first two games in this tournament or or will he change it up? Walker's an
2: interesting one because he hasn't been fit and then he played against Wales. I think whether or not he plays because there's a domino effect there. If you play Walker then you probably play Trippier at left back instead of Shaw. And then you've got to take into account how how those players play with the players in front of them. Do you want Walker and Foden on the same flank because they're club teammates? And that obviously would mean no place for Saka. So I think that's the bit that interests me the most. For me, it doesn't matter too much. The defenders, uh, the question is probably... For England, I think England always, under Gareth Southgate in tournaments, they've always looked organised and hard to break down and, and defensively disciplined. The question is where the spark comes from. And I would say because of that, the decision is, you know, like you say, Sterling's been poor. Then if you go, it's sort of two of Rashford, Saka and Foden. For me, that's his big choice to make here. Uh, I would be surprised if Mason Mount doesn't play. I think Henderson coming in was a little bit of security, a little bit of minutes in the legs against Wales. I think it would be a really negative move to keep Mason Mount out of the side in midfield. But Gareth Southgate has been quite a negative manager. So I guess I I would think it would be the wrong choice, definitely. But maybe it wouldn't stun me so much. I wish Sadio Mane was fit because I think we'd get a really, really interesting game with a full-strength Senegal against England. Uh, It's... It's a shame Sadio Mane's not there, and they've lost uh, Adrisa Garner Gay as well, who was booked in the last group game and, and is out suspended because of that. And I think that's th- those are two big misses. Huge, uh, yeah. you know. If if Senegal had a full strength side, I think they'd fancy their chances. As it is, it's is hard to look past England, uh, and the same with France tomorrow as well. I did, but you know, we we've got two very similar. Setups, I think, as to the one we had today with the maybe not so much Netherlands USA, but certainly Argentina, Australia, and we know that that got close in the end. So knockout football, anything can happen. But I, I would, if you're looking for a close game tomorrow, I think it's going to be England Senegal, not France Poland. Let's Interesting put it that
1: way. Interesting. I, I don't think either will be close. I, you know, ordinarily I would say I don't have a lot of faith in England. You know, just because of some tournament history, but I think the Euros. Have shown and and even this tournament has shown this is a different England. There's mm. there's a lot of not just quality but I think character in this team. Um, and and I I kiss a death here, but I expect England to get the job done and to do it maybe in in impressive fashion. And it just so happens that England are in the bracket of death, I guess you'd call it, because you presume that will set up a. a a confrontation with France next Saturday. Can which you have would a bra- be, can you have the the bracket of death with Brazil on the other side? I mean, Spain, Portugal, England, and France would be. And if Portugal don't get through, Switzerland's no no slouch. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's crazy is had had Brazil finished second and Switzerland been on the other side of the bracket. Messi's Argentina yeah. would have a very very very. <laughs> Clean path to get to a World Cup final and potentially face Brazil in it, which would have been something. But uh, we get ahead of ourselves. France, Poland—hard um, to look past France for me here. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I think Mbappe has been,
2: been, been awful. I think Poland are maybe you know. the worst performing team to get out of the group stage for me. Uh, I'd have like, I think Australia weren't great in their group games, but, but sort of did enough to. Keep tight and then and then get a goal in a couple of the games. I think Poland were worse. Uh, Poland were outplayed by Saudi Arabia. Uh, I thought Poland were outplayed by Argentina. They were outplayed by Saudi Arabia and and got a couple of goals on the break. And, and fair play to them for you know attacking efficiently. But they definitely didn't have the run of play in that game. They were outplayed by Argentina, and nothing happened when they played Mexico. It was just a drab nil nil a. I don't I've not seen anything from Poland to suggest that they'll have any chance against France to be honest.
1: Has has Mbappe been the player of the tournament for you so far? I mean he's he's been just outrageously good. Oh, I'm trying to think if there's if
2: there's someone that I'd suggest instead and probably not. So so yes, I guess I guess that means yes. <laughs> he's just electric, isn't he? He's just, yeah, like, he's just, the game comes to life when when he starts moving and um, when he has the ball up his seat. So, yeah, Phil, Phil gave us the with,
1: with all due respect. Um, he he gave us the with all due respect. Um, he's better than Holland. Do, do you see it that way? Uh, I think he is
2: very different. uh, I'm going to sit on the fence and be incredibly (laughs) diplomatic. That is diplomatic. I I don't know if Kylian Mbappe would come to England and score 17 goals every couple of games, Uh, Mm. but I think he would maybe impact games more. I think this is the problem with football, right? We watch it for 90 minutes, but it's only sort of like two actions in a 90 minute game that actually decides the game or not. And Erling Haaland is involved in those actions all the time. And Kylian Bappe does a bunch of other things, which, you know, sometimes lead to chances and sometimes don't. Uh, But is he better than Haaland? I don't know. i goals win games and I don't think anyone's better at putting the ball in the net than Erling Haaland. Yeah. All right.
1: Well, let's leave it there. There's, there's, I, I love with giving, uh, I love the idea of giving Erling Haaland the, with all due respect treatment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, he's, he's a, he's a neat player. He's an okay player, but with all due respect, uh, well that you can blame Phil for that. I, I had Yo, nothing I to will. do with it. I will. Yeah, please do. Please do. Um, and, and Phil will be back with us on a future episode as well. Uh, as we rotate the squad here, you know, you got to get your rotation, got to get your rotation in. Um, I'll take notes, but yeah, exactly. Um, so, well, let's let's leave it there. Um, I think... All right, I'll just ask you one last thing because I'm dying to get, get, get your take on it. And I know we're hitting almost the hour mark, which is not what these things are supposed to be. But do, do you have any thoughts on Martinelli's star turn for Brazil? Did you enjoy it? I'm very happy for him. And <laughs> I really, really hope that he
2: gets more chances to do that during the tournament. It's lovely when the world discovers one of your sons, Um, especially uh, given
1: the way the reception he got for being included. You know what I mean? Like just the, the animosity from some uh, Brazilians who I think wanted their, their preferred domestic players. I I think that's a big thing in
2: Brazil, you know, the mm -hmm. the European football and, and certainly teams that aren't in the champions league just don't get watched very much. And I imagine that, you know, it's not just in Brazil, obviously that's, that's, personal to him i imagine there are lots of people around the world who are only just discovering gabriel martinelli now and um congratulations to all of them because it's a wonderful (laughs) wonderful journey (laughs) to realize you can watch this player every week amen well
1: said all right well we will come back tomorrow with um our take on the france and england games and by the way from senegal the the senegal and if you're from poland poland games I, I hate that i do that you know it's so hard you realize like we have a global audience and and you know somebody listening is rooting for that team that you're maybe overlooking so i hope if you are uh rooting for that team that we're overlooking well, i, I hope that you have a good day but then if you're rooting for the other team i hope they don't have a good day i you know how am i supposed to throw home deal? with you can't always the film. i mean that's why you should block me on twitter Yankee yeah, you phil's i phil phil's not here lewis on twitter at lg yeah bro. thank you lewis thank you Elliot. Uh, but he will be back. My name is Alex for really the Black Mentor and Gunner. We love you, and we'll talk to you after your country 10, other country notes.